Good morning, good morning, good morning. The sun is shining, the birds are chirping, and you are breathing. Today is Thursday, April 1st, 2021. My name is Stephen Carnegie, and welcome to This Is Just a Thought. Today's word of the day, rectitude which means the quality or state of being straight, having moral integrity and or righteousness. Rectitude. Hope everyone's enjoying their April Fool's Day. Today is, of course, April the 1st. And I'm sure by now, as most of you know, most fools really don't need a one specific day to exhibit their foolishness. But it's always in good fun, I guess. Don't get fooled. Don't get fooled. They are who they are. (laughs) It appears an animal keeper, while performing routine activities with two juvenile wolves, was bitten by the wolves here in North Carolina. Now, this happened this past Saturday during an event at the Wildlife Center here in North Carolina. I guess they were having a a St. Patrick's Day celebration. Uh, Whatever. Now she was bitten on her upper arm and right leg. She was taken to UNC hospitals at Hillsborough with non-life-threatening injuries, said a spokesman for the Caswell County Sheriff's Office. Spokesman, Spokesman, I'm sorry, goes on to say the wolves did not escape their enclosures. Now this Wildlife Center called the uh, Animal animal Park at the Conservatory Center houses 70 animals that include gray wolves, dingoes, coyotes, tigers, and lions. Now, the center also adds that no members of the public were in danger and continued on by saying the center continues to have as its top priority, the safety of its public guests, volunteers, and employees, and the center is confident that it provides a safe environment for all who visit and work at the center. Now, the center apparently sits on the county lines of Alamance and Caswell counties here in North Carolina. Coincidentally, this is the same wildlife center where an intern was killed back in 2018 by a lion while she was trying to clean its cage. Now, at the time, the North Carolina Department of Labor Labor issued three citations to the center in 2019, along with a $3,000 fine. The fines weren't, however, directly related to the death, but its hazards that employees were exposed to. Mm, wonder what that means. But since then, the Conservatory Center has had zero non-compliant items reports. As of September of last year, 2020, it appears the U.S. Department of Agriculture did an inspection and everything was okay, at least until this incident happened. Man, uh, I always ask myself, 
I mean, if you have a love of animals, I, I understand. But silly old me, I, I just think there are certain animals that need to be left where they are at in their own natural habitat. You know, these wildlife centers or refuge or, you know, whatever they term them as, they're all over the United States and they do have some uh, pretty exotic animals, uh, apparently, you know, some folks, <laughs> I'm thinking about that, uh, that guy, I can't remember his name, but I'm sure everyone knows him, the Tiger King and that Carol Baskin story. You know, a lot of these places come up as a result of, of that. These, uh, I don't know what you call them, these people that go around and they get these wild exotic animals and raise them. <clears throat> I, I, I don't know. Well, I do know. That's a no for me. I can't understand for the life of me why we as human beings find it so entertaining and amusing to have these wild animals literally in our backyards. Like I said, this, this park sits on the county lines of Alamance and Caswell County. And, and well, you know, here in Durham, they the museum has a... a, a I guess an enclosure also, I believe they have some uh, red wolves here. And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I believe uh, uh, years ago, one of them escaped, but of course, you know, they found them and, and bought them back. But like I said, I just don't understand why people feel the need to keep these animals it's for entertainment purposes, pretty much. I mean, you know, it's just like the, the circus. Well, I don't even think there's a circus around anymore. Was it Ringling Brothers and Barham, whatever they are? They're they're going away with. But I, I never understood why people find it so entertaining to see these wild animals. Uh, like I said, silly old me or scary me. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I, I don't know a wild animal. I don't want to see it up close and personal. That's just me. It's like that, uh, the gentleman a, a week or two ago that took his child into that enclosure at the zoo with the elephant and the elephant started charging. Yeah, that elephant was charging, stomped his feet and everything. And then the fool dropped the baby. Rightfully so, he was arrested. Yeah, he needs to serve some time. I'm sorry. What same person takes an infant into an enclosure with a, a wild animal animal and and what coincidentally he had to get through two barriers to get to the elephant or get near the elephant all because he wanted a selfie once again i, I don't understand this five or 15 minutes of fame that everybody's shooting for putting yourself in in danger just seems foolish to me but back to this story uh like i said that that conservatory or whatever you call it um a young lady was killed several years ago i remember that she was attacked by by a lion while cleaning its cage it appears this uh this same thing happened here with this this uh young lady and the the two wolves <laughs> i keep thinking about richard Pryor and his saying that's a hint and a half for your ass yeah that's a hint and a half uh, 
I just wouldn't do it. That's just me. That's just me. But like I said, if you have a love of animals or animals, hey, by all means, go for what you know. I've never been to one of those places. Just not it's just not on my to-do list or my entertainment list. Like I said, I don't get any great pleasure or derive any joy from seeing animals in cages or you allow them out out of the cages to walk around to entertain the audience. I, I just never have. Even as a kid, when when you know the school would take us to the circus or whatever, or even the zoo, I, I've been to the zoo a couple of times, once with my uh, oldest son, and I just never found it entertaining. I'm not an animal lover, but I always thought it was pretty arrogant. Yeah, I, I say arrogant for us as human beings to, to go into the wild and take these animals out of the wild and put them. In an, in, an, in, in an enclosure that we deem to be safe and a habitable place. I just do. That's just me. That's just me. I know many people probably won't agree with me, but hey, it is what it is for me. Sorry. Now, let's move along here. Now, uh, several podcasts ago, I talked about the illegal sport, if you can call it that, I don't see a sport in it, of uh, cockfighting in the U.S. and Guam. Well, it appears a North Carolina sheriff in Chatham County has received an award for his role in combating this illegal pastime. Wow, pastime, that's, that's crazy. From the Humane Society of the United States. He received the 2020 Humanitarian Law Enforcement Award for his ongoing fight to stop cockfighting here in, in, in North Carolina. Now, you know, due to a tip on February 20th, 23rd, I'm sorry, of last year, deputies went to a home in New Hill, North Carolina, where they uncovered a cockfighting exhibition in progress. Now, the property owners were charged with felony cockfighting and misdemeanor cruelty to animals. Hmm. How did you get a misdemeanor? If you got a felony for cockfighting, shouldn't you have a felony also for cruelty to animals? Okay. Well, apparently, the laws in North Carolina, the laws in North Carolina, we'll get into that in a little while. Side note, in a little while is now, <laughs> under current law, those who have these animals in their possession and the paraphernalia that would be your blades, you know, the blades they attach to the feet, they can't be arrested if they have these things in their possession, meaning the animals and the blades, the paraphernalia, they can't be arrested. They have to be caught in the actual act of fighting, which is what happened to these people. So I guess that's how they were arrested and charged. Huh, how about that? I mean, you can have all the chicken or cocks you, you want and, and have blades and stuff everywhere. But if you're not in the actual act of fighting, they, they can't do anything to you. So these officers or, or sheriff's deputies got a good tip. Let them <laughs> right into progress. <laughs> Right when they were doing it, they rolled up and there and there they were. Now, dozens of birds were confiscated. 
Many were sick or injured. Sadly, many had to be put down. You know, due to the close quarters the birds reside in. Uh, reside. <laughs> Along with the, the mixing of blood that happens during the fighting. Now, apparently this allows disease to spread rapidly among the roosters, says the Humane Society. Now the Humane Society is also caring for the remaining birds as they are evidence while the case is pending. Hmm. Now, this article goes on to say the sport is widely popular in Cajun, Mexican, and Filipino communities. It is against federal law to knowingly sell, buy, possess, transport, or deliver, or receive any any animal for the purposes of having the animals participate in fighting. Hmm. Now, 39 states, including D.C., have this law that is against, it's a violation of a federal law, but North Carolina is not one of them. Hmm. Yeah, that goes back to that. They have to catch you in the actual act thing. So apparently in 39 other states, you can have these animals and you can you can have them in your possession and you can have the paraphernalia and you can get arrested. But here in North Carolina, they have to catch you in the actual act. Now the law became effective in the U.S. or any of its territories, including Guam and Puerto Rico. Apparently it's pretty good in Puerto Rico, uh, pretty big in Puerto Rico too. As of 2019, this law took effect. Now, as it goes for the states on the eastern seaboard, North Carolina is the cockfighting hub. Now, the Animal Wellness Action Association and the Humane Society and, of course, other animal rights advocates are suggesting and pushing to outlaw this in the U.S., and any of his territory. So they want all the states and the territory to come on board and say this is a no-go. As well they should. I'm sorry, that, that is just a barbaric sport. And I use the term sport loosely. Uh, you know, I'm often amused and somewhat disgusted. I'm not an animal lover. But I'm often amused and disgusted at how grown folks can sit around and watch animals fight to the death. You know, you got your dog fights, you got your cop fights, and, and whatever else, or what have you. But for an adult to sit around and watch animals drag it out to the point of death is not entertaining to me. I don't know about you guys, but it just is not entertaining to me. It's not. I gotta be honest with you. <laughs> I don't, like I said, I, I don't know why people would do that. I guess if it's something you enjoy, it's something you enjoy. And hey, who am I to knock you? But it's not for me. And and good job to these uh, sheriff's deputies and others around this country and territories that are cracking down on this. Uh, I I know I don't know if you guys remember, but when I said in a previous podcast that not only is it is it a, a great or, or superb pastime for some, but for those that are invested in it, 
you know, at the time I said they could ship those birds to Guam without feeding them, of course, so they could come out fighting, ready to go. They ship them at $2,000 a head. $2,000 a head. Well, it can be, a, I guess, a pretty lucrative, illegal business transaction. And that's usually how it goes, isn't it? Everything that is uh, illegal, hey, there's usually a high price that goes along with it. And it's tax-free. Let's not forget that. How do you tax cockfighting? Hmm. Okay. Well, let's move along. Um, <laughs> this next uh, piece is, is let's just say is something that that has been going ongoing and i'm sure a lot of people i, I believe it made national news and, and and by now i think all of us are are or have heard stories i'm sorry stories of people that were wrongfully convicted that have been in jail for the majority of their life and this case is no different and and, and i know many in north carolina remember this story because i do in, in 1983, there were two brothers, Henry McCullum and Leon Brown. They were accused of the rape and murder of an 11-year-old girl here in Red Springs, North Carolina. Now, the investigators, and I use that term very, very loosely, the investigators in the case somehow, some way, received from the brothers a signed, lengthy statement. That was later discovered to be written by the investigators. That's why I use that term loosely. Detailing their involvement in the crime. Investigators, like I said, somehow, some way, got them to sign these confessions by telling the brothers that, well, this is the somehow, some way, if they sign the confections, confessions, they will be set free and able to go home. But, they weren't. Instead, they were sentenced to, well, they spent 30 years in prison. They both were sentenced to death or to die. One of them remained on death row. And, and, and I believe his, I believe Henry McCullum, at that point in time, he was the he had been the longest North Carolina inmate to be on death row. His brother, however, was uh, he was in prison. Yeah, he got life and he was sentenced to die, but he served his time in general population. I don't know how that worked out. Now you may be saying, well, what's so special about this case and, and those um, those statements of guilt that was taken? Well, apparently the brothers have IQs, both of them, not separately, but both of them have IQs in the 50s. And the attorney that represented them originally for over 20 years said they were mentally incompetent and should have never been allowed, allowed to sign those confessions. Now in 2014, due to DNA evidence, they were exonerated. They were exonerated from then uh, Governor Pat McCrory. And shortly thereafter, here comes along a new lawyer that's going to pick up their plight. Now, 
somehow, some way again, he convinced the brothers and their sister that he better, that he could better represent them in their best interests. Now the brothers combined received 1.5 million from the state at that time, to which the new lawyer, after sending <laughs> this part here is where it gets crazy. Now, apparently they had a, a, a lawyer already. Now, this lawyer that, that had represented them at that time, he had been representing them for 20 or 30 years, well, 30 years, 20, 20 or 30 years. He had been representing them. And somehow, some way out of the blue, another lawyer comes forward from out of nowhere and sends him a letter, a threatening letter demanding he end his relationship with McCollum and Brown. And of that 1.5 million settlement, he kept 500,000 for himself. Took his fee off top, I guess. Took his fee off top. And he continued to Swindle. Let's call him what he is. He continued to swindle them. How so, you ask? And we'll get into that later. He uh now keep in mind these brothers are their their mental capacity is at 50 IQ is in 50 in the 50s. So he somehow, some way talked them into signing predatory loans. Now, like I said, we'll get into that later. Like I said, McCullum, uh, one of the brothers, was, was on death row. His other brother, uh, Brown, was in general population, serving his life sentence. Now, during this time, the other lawyer, the original lawyer, he was the only one that would visit McCullum in prison. So how did... I, I just, it, that's another thing, question I have. Maybe his talk game was that good, the new lawyer. Because like I said, he convinced McCullum and his sister to, um, McCull well, convinced McCullum and Brown and his sister that he could represent them. And, he, and, and I guess he did. He, he, I don't think he represented himself. I uh, represented them. I think he represented himself and helped himself to some of them, a whole lot of them money. Not a new, new lawyer. After convincing, like I said, the brothers and the sister of his sworn, honest dedication to their well-being, also filed federal civil rights charges in 2015 to hold accountable law enforcement to hold in, hold accountable law enforcement from the employees, former employees of the SPI, State Bureau of Investigation. Robeson County Sheriff's Department and Red, Spring, Red Springs Police Department. Now, so he took over the case in 2015 and in 2017, the town of Red Springs agreed to pay each brother $500,000. Now, part of the basis for the, 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 the state or the state bar is that that was a red flag to them, I guess and the other lawyer because 
$500,000 a piece after you spent 30 years in prison for a crime you didn't commit, that was a low amount. Now, they went on to say the state board, the state bar, I'm sorry, the state bar went on to say that similar cases of wrongful imprisonment with even fewer, fewer years of incarceration and being on death row settled for several millions. Now, the new lawyer planned to keep 33% of the settlement from the town of Red Springs. Now, keep in mind, he had already gotten his cut from the uh, the state. You remember the 1.5 million settlement? He kept 500,000 of that. And according to the state, if he was allowed to continue, if they hadn't stepped in, if somebody hadn't said, hey, hey, wait a minute, something ain't right here, he would have swindled McCullum and would have received 35%. That means McCullum only would have gotten $178,000 while the new lawyer would have gotten $403,000. He was on a roll. <laughs> Ambulance chaser. He was on a roll. Well, he was. He really was. He was on a roll. Man, that guy was rolling. If you add everything up up until this point, he was almost at a million of their money after they had served 30 years in prison. Wrongfully convicted. Wrongfully receiving or giving a... <laughs> I can't even get it out. After giving a a a a, a coerced, coerced statement, admitting guilt to something they had nothing to do with or knew anything about, although the state is saying, you know, those state representatives of of, of uh, I guess the department, well, North Carolina's justice system are saying, oh, I wasn't coerced. Well, you have guys, two brothers that have a mental problem, and you're getting a signed confession, which if they probably couldn't even read or write or, or could barely read or write. And you somehow, uh, some way got a lengthy confession out of them that was admitted into court evidence and you'd convicted them. And then along comes this guy and takes their money. Well, this is part one. And, and I'm going to dig a little deeper into part two. So stay tuned to this. Because like I said, when I heard this case, I remembered it and, and it died out. And now we're finding out that uh, the lawyer, the new lawyer, <laughs> has been disbarred. Well, he hasn't been disbarred. His license has been suspended here in North Carolina. And I'm going to dig into that in the second part. I am going to dig into that. I am. Well, that's all for me today so far. This, Like I said, this is part one. And I want to thank you all for lending me your ears this morning. Continue to like, support, share, offer feedback. Once again, Anchor has a great feature where you can leave a voice response. You can also make monetary contributions. Continue to follow and listen on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Verbal, and News Press. This is Stephen Carnegie for This Is Just a Thought.
Amen.